podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast, the podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game. With me, your host, Russell Guyver. I am uh, warmly welcoming back a fairly regular guest contributor, Raymond Wright, who is with us again, and also uh, making his debut on the podcast. We're very happy to have on our guest, our special guest, Mr. Phil Dennett, who's written a book on the Albion Strikers, and it is called... um, Phil, would you like to tell me? I've Four kings it. of Brighton Hove Albion. Four kings of Brighton and Hove Albion. There we go. And we shall be talking about that in a lot more detail uh, a little bit later on in the pod. Um, but without further ado, as you are um, making your debut on the pod, we would like to find out about any new guests on the on the on the episode. And um, so, would you like to tell us how it all began for you? Where? Did, how did you get your first interest in the Albion? Because I believe there's an interesting story to this one. Yeah, it was uh, my. My grandfather, John, who was called Jack, like just about every other John in those days. Yes. Uh, he, he played left back for the Albion 1903, Um, he only lasted a couple of games. In fact, those matches were then played at the uh, Sussex cricket ground before they moved to the Goldstone. Uh, he'd served in the Boer War as a boy soldier. And uh, was pretty fit, pretty fit and strong. He played for Burgessill in the Mid-Sussex League, where, in fact, I ended up playing. Um, and he was known as a very powerful left-back. But, uh, of course, there was a lot of competition for places just as Albion were forming. And so he only lasted a couple of games and went back to playing for Burgess Hill. Mm. And um, but how I actually got interested in uh in, in Albion seriously as a writer was I was working as a local journalist for the Mid Sussex Times. Um and there was a guy there called Mark Gale who uh in fact covered the Albion for many, many years, something like fifty years for, hmm. for the Mid Sussex Times. And he died and it was mentioned that he'd written a book about Tommy Cook, who will need no introduction to Brighton fans. And uh, I did. I it was rumoured that that this play was around somewhere, but nobody ever found it. So I decided to write a play about Cook. Now I'm not being modest here. It was not very good, um, and it was never performed. But I thought, well, rather than waste all this work. I would do a book on Cook. Um, and a cookbook, if you will. <laughs> a cookbook. Yeah, well, that was the problem. You had to be careful what I called that, because <laughs> yeah, uh, people could get the wrong idea. <laughs> and well, during the course of my research, I went over to uh, Cookfield Cemetery, where Cook's buried, and I was pretty appalled at what I saw. It was a tiny, tiny grave for Cook, and the weather had had wiped the wording off off the stone. So kind of no one knew Tommy Cook was there and no one knew who he was and what he'd done. And so uh, that provoked my interest. And so I I managed to persuade the Albion and some local funeral directors called Gallagher's to um, pay for a very smart black marble stone that was laid flat on, on the... Uh, on the grave, and it was marvellously inscribed in silver, 
and gave details of all his goals for the Albion and his runs for Sussex. So, so that kind of got me interested in Cook. Um, and, and that whole thing was quite interesting because it was, I did it around about the time of COVID. And if you, if you ever see any pictures of the dedication ceremony we held, we're all standing. We look very antisocial. We're all looking six, watch, uh, standing six feet apart. <laughs> <laughs> Even the vicar is, <laughs> it's a good distance from us. Um, but, 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 but Phil, wasn't that the sort of about as close as most defenders got to Cook during his play? Oh, yeah, he probably <laughs> was. Yeah. Yeah. He was, um, from what I, what I researched, he was renowned for his speed and his toughness. He, he was quite robust, stubborn even, <laughs> and uh, you had to you had to be pretty tough in those days, didn't you? Hmm. Oh yeah, um, brutal game. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I, I so I had this, I'd actually had this child amb- childhood ambition to be a journalist, uh, but things were such at home that my mother wanted me to get out and earn a living quickly. So at 16, I joined the civil service. And honestly, I didn't know the difference between the civil service and the civil defence. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was that green. And um, I and so I, I, I did get a job at 16 in civil service and um, worked in a, a marvellous place called the Official Receivers Office. It kind of sounds a bit like Dickens, doesn't it? Doesn't it really? <laughs> and Mr. McCorber at all? <laughs> yeah, and uh, there's more about that later. Um, I, I could tell you, but but the first game I saw at the Albion was um, it was I know it was in '63, but I don't know which game. But I do remember what seemed like a pillar of rock in the middle of the Albion defence. That was Roy Jennings. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, he later, of course. Plowed through the mud at um, Town Mead, didn't he, for Crawley Town, <laughs> which was a real glue pot. So, so I remember him. But it was, it was. I mean, but but Roy, in a sense, Phil, I mean, to me, has been the sort of prototype for a whole ream of, of, of Brighton centre half. Absolutely, I mean, yeah. Obviously, uh, it was him, Andy Rollings, uh, uh, Steve Foster, um, now, Ian, Lewis Ian Goodwin, Ian Goodwin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lewis Dunk. I mean, he he was doing. I can remember watching him play against Plymouth, who had a big centre forward, aggressive centre forward, about six foot two or so, called George Kirby. And George Kirby rang up and tried to shoulder charge and flatten um, Roy, and Roy just stood there and moved about two inches towards him. Kirby picked himself up off the floor ten seconds later, <laughs> not being quite sure what had happened. <laughs> and it's a like, abiding memory of Roy Jennings is that particular moment. And I think, I mean, the next season was the uh, promotion season. I think, yeah, sixty-four, sixty-five, wasn't it? Yeah. And there was another centre half who who caught my attention was Norman Gall, mm. uh, and he, I think. Personally, he's the best header of a ball I've seen at, at any level. He was, I remember him used to soar, if you like, like a seagull. And he always met the ball cleanly, I think, with, the, with his forehead. He had a, a wonderful leap. And he was good on the deck, too, wasn't he? 
He wasn't that big, was he? Because about no, he wasn't. Ten. No, no. But he um he sometimes went along and watched the civil service team that I played for, which unnerved me greatly. <laughs> to have Norman Cole watching, you know, I was playing centre forward then. I was only about seventeen, but he always struck me as being a nice, uh, unassuming man. A terrific, a terrific guy, actually. Yeah, and of course, and, and sorry. What what's the latest story of Norman? I mean, do we know what's happened to him? Still around, um, well, he, think, but... he said he's he said not to be well, isn't he? Is that right? Yeah, possibly. I'm not. I'm not I sure. don't know. I wouldn't really want to discuss that because I don't really hmm. know much about his um, condition. And of course, got... um, that that. Um, to, to start watching the Albion and then suddenly start watching the championship winning team was a bit of a bonus, wasn't it? And, and of course, to see Bobby Smith, uh, who uh, he was a, for, for a guy of his size, he was amazing, amazingly light on his feet. I thought he he uh, he could spray the ball to the wings to Wally Gould, John Goodchild, so beautifully, so accurately, so fantastically weighted and then of course at the other scale he could barge the goalkeeper into the back of the net if he if he fancied it so he was a big he was a tall guy and quite broad was he tall, well he, he wasn't tall actually Bobby, well he, he was only five, five, five ten wasn't he oh, nine, right. ten. Yeah. yeah and mm. he he was always carrying a bit of weight wasn't he but mm, um, yeah. by the time he joined us yeah Oh, yeah. By the time he joined he us, spent... by all accounts, he was carrying a bit of debt as well. Yeah. <laughs> as I was well that's saying. the problem. He, he spent probably more time in the bookers in Brighton than yeah. he did training ground. My uh, neighbor, elderly neighbour, he's passed away a few years ago now, but he, I remember him telling me that um, he's a Spurs fan. And he remembers seeing Bobby uh, knocking around in all the bookmakers. He used to go, he was a bit of a gambler himself, my neighbour, and he said he just saw him wherever he went. <laughs> he was in the bookies. <laughs> but <laughs> I think the interesting him. thing was he got 19 goals that season. He wasn't even the top scorer, was he? I think. Uh, yeah. Which is um, I think Wally Gould of all people was top scorer. Uh, no, I mean Gould actually was pr- quite prolific. Yeah. But there's a bit of a history. There's a bit of a history of Albion having goal-scoring wingers. Um, mm-hmm. I've had one or two. But, you know, actually, you were talking about um, you're talking about Smith's debts. Well, I mentioned this glorious job I had as a clerk at the official receiver's office. And I was sitting there, I was 17 years old, sitting in the reception, and then walked Bobby Smith. And he, <laughs> he was my hero, of course. And I, and I couldn't believe it. And, and the official receiver said to me, Mr. Dennett, would you take Mr. Smith over to the court to file his petition? And so I had the job of escorting Bobby Smith over to the court to discuss his financial affairs. And uh, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry, to be honest. Yeah, it's a dubious pleasure, isn't it, that one of it? <laughs> and it wasn't long after that. He joined Hastings, I think, and then came a labourer at one time, oh. which seemed rather rather a sad end to me. But, I mean, uh, what, again, one of the things I remember, the attributes that Bobby Smith seemed to have, and particularly for a man who's over, slightly overweight, uh, is that he'd get up in the air and he would hang there. Mm. So as Gordon Goodchild centred, uh, yeah. you know, he, he was there waiting for it. And he had that 
that ability just to hang uh, hang in the air, which one doesn't see very often these days. No, I think Kane has it sometimes. I saw um, I also saw him chest the goal once. That was for the reserves. I think he was coming back from injury, and I remember him chesting the ball into the goal at the south end in one match. Because in those days you could sit in the West Ham pretty cheap for a reserve game. Uh, so I got a I got a nice nice view of that. Yeah, <laughs> not bad. I remember that second season, which was the promotion season, the huge crowd they had for the first game. I think it was twenty thousand. We we used to have big crowds. I mean, it's surprising. But I mean, for a fourth division side, that was incredible, wasn't it? It was. I think it was. I mean, Archie McCauley was the manager, wasn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. And then there was that. Wonderful player who sadly died not long after us, uh, Barry Reese. I remember. Oh yeah, yeah, he's a bit of a hero of mine, albeit a short-lived. I think, I think Reese would have been a great player. I, I really, he would have played in the first division. I was. Oh, I mean, I, I think he would have been an international. I mean, he, he was Welsh. He would have played for Wales. Yeah, but, he had uh, a. He had I mean, everything, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. yeah he, I mean, he would have walked into the Welsh team, any Welsh team. He probably would have walked into the English team had he yeah. been qualified for England. He had a he had a bit of a temper on him, well, a bit of fire. Because I remember someone from the crowd shouted something at him once, and he <laughs> he went over to the touchline and shook his fist at him. <laughs> <laughs> that rather well, endeared me to <laughs> Reese. <laughs> Well, at least he only shook his face. I mean, Cantona just uh, karate. <laughs> yeah, well, thing. he'd probably get six months for that now, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, no, well, I, I thought he was I a mean, great boss. Actually, funny enough, it's assault if you shake a fist for somebody. Technically speaking, it's an assault. Battery is <laughs> when you actually hit them. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay. I remember as a kid, though, we had a we had a routine watching the Albion. We'd get the train down the Brighton. We'd nip in the fish and chip shop. <laughs> grab some chips before we got on the train to hoe, and then we'd have a game of 10-pin bowling, <laughs> and then we'd go and see the Albion play, and then we'd get back, get on get on the train back, nip in for some more fish and chips, and grab a copy of the Evening Argus, which by then had a report of the game, because mm. that was in the days when the Argus could really move. Yes. And... Uh, so, yeah, I, I later had some memories of John Vinicom when I became a journalist and was in the press stand. Uh, had some memories of John Vinicom. Uh, mm. he, he he suffered a little bit of unfair criticism, I think, John Vinicom from Albion fans. I don't think they realised how much pressure he worked under. I sat next to him once. I was reporting for another paper. And in those days, of course, there's no electronic communication. It was all phone. And he would be scribbling notes on what was going on. At the same time, he would be, he would be talking to copy takers on the phone. And they, they, they were pretty good copy takers. They were some of the fastest the Argus had. And, and they, they instantly typed it up. Uh, and he could be a bit short with them if they were a bit slow because he was obviously trying to watch the game. I think people, I think the fans who kind of knocked him didn't quite realise he wasn't sitting there concentrating on the game all the time. It must have been a hell of a job. Uh, but, um, yeah, he he was uh, he was quite a decent guy, actually. Um, yeah, well, covering live sport, 
always a oh. massive challenge, isn't it? And and John Vinicom, certainly when I, I was growing up in the uh, um, sort of in the seventies and early eighties, Albion Albion analysis wasn't it his thing? I think yes, came out on the Monday though. This was later yeah. on the time. But um, yeah, he always seemed a pretty upstanding journalist to me, and uh, yeah, he's uh, pretty good. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was thinking, getting back to Reese briefly. I I think Reese with Gaul and Turner made one of the best midfield trios I've ever seen. The Albion. I mean, the centre, all halfbacks. I mean, the half back line. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Turner was was the dynamo, wasn't he? The on the left, yeah, really drove forward. He was the sort of earlier version, but on the left side, uh, Russell of Brian mm. Horton later. Yeah, I see. yeah, yeah. I think we were the best way of describing it. And all, of course, um, Bertolini, I think, did a great job that season. He came in to replace Reese for the end of the season, and he did a great job. And he was he was quite a decent guy, a decent clubman, Bertolini. So he's another guy. Bertolini had been Russell had been in in the team that played in, in Division 2 when we got first promoted yeah. from yeah. the 3rd Division South up uh, at the end of the 57-58 season. Um, hmm. Yeah. But uh, I, I could, going back to the John Vinicom thing, Phil, uh, we were talking about it the other day, but I can remember that I would get back from the game, go to the newsagent at Kima, oh, yeah. and I, about five past six, the van would turn up with the report on the match uh, yeah. that I'd actually just come from. I know, yeah. I mean, yeah that, that was printed on the thing, and you know, 20 minutes drive away, or whatever it was, it, it was in, in Kima, so that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> I know we had some uh, real adventures following the Albion sometimes. <laughs> I remember uh, you know, Millwall was never the most welcoming of places, was it? And I do, I do remember a game there where that's the understatement ever made. Um, but I, I do remember a game there where the Albion were given a free kick, and I said, "Oh, great ref!" And I, I kid you not, this man pulled a crowbar out of his jacket, and so I remained fairly quiet for the rest of that game. <laughs> and there was another match at Reading where my brave pal. Um, Adrian Clark is dead now. He drove us an old Ford Popular to Reading that cost us 12 quid. We actually bought it between us, three of us. <laughs> it, was, it was my uh, uncle's car and it had been resting peacefully in a field until we started the engine and it nearly caught the whole field alight. Anyway, it got us to Reading, albeit <laughs> its exhaust wasn't working, and we got stopped by the police several times. <laughs> Uh, could, could you imagine? The, I mean, the noise in the night was, it was an evening match, and uh, we got there ten minutes before the end, <laughs> and, uh, and the Albion lost one nil, I think. Oh, no. <laughs> and so, then we well, thought, well, though. before we go back, we'll have a meal. Yeah. So we went to the Chinese restaurant, and we were sitting there having our meal, and all of a sudden, somebody got hurled through the front door glass. There had been a big argument with the staff. <laughs> And what a wonderful trip that was. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And I, it but but you, were bit... talking, you were talking about Millwall. Yeah. You said you get much of a welcome. It's a question of what you describe as a welcome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. It was, it was an odd, uh, it was some quaint times. Though. I mean, 
I actually caught a, a steam train special to uh, Bristol City once. <laughs> oh, wow. What, what, to watch Albion play in the uh, FA Cup. Uh, and the, the driver lived a few doors down from me, <laughs> which was a bit of a coincidence. We got beat. Oh, it's we, still, wasn't it? I think, yeah. yeah. Well, we got the train from Brighton, but yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, we, I think they got beaten 1-0 in that as, as well. So we, And John Ateo was playing. So we had two great England centre-forwards playing Smith and Ateo. The interesting oh. thing is, if I remember rightly, the centre-halves gobbled them both up. Gould absolutely outplayed Ateo, who was... You know, ex-England. It was getting on a bit, though. He was 32, then, whereas Gaul was quite young. But um, I remember that. There were two centre-forwards. Neither of them really played a great part in the game. But uh, we had some good trips, apart from going to the likes of Gillingham, where the grandstand was a bit drafty. <laughs> Other than that Bristol City one, that old red one that you've mentioned, Phil, but is there any particular match in the sort of 60s and 70s that stands out in your memory? Particular game? Well, I, I suppose it would have to be the promotion game, wouldn't it, when they went up? When they were 30,000, I think? When they hmm. beat... Uh, who did they beat? Um, Darlington, wasn't it? 30,000 inside the Goldstone was amazing. Yeah. And pretty unsafe, probably. <laughs> But uh, people were people were a bit more sensible in those days, I think. But th- yeah, that was just, that was superb. Yeah. I, I well, I, I was there on the Boxing Day picture when we played Fulham, and I think there was over thirty six thousand. Yeah, that was yeah, that was. Well, that was a record of the time, wasn't it? I don't know, and I don't I don't suppose for a moment that's an accurate figure. I think it was probably more than that. I mean, not all the sixties were great, were they? Uh, Kit Napier livened up uh, some mediocre seasons, certainly in the sixties. But he but, was a good. Uh, he was a good, good for. I mean, obviously, I imagine he pe- features in your book, Phil. Um, oh, he does. Yeah, he's, some, but, he's somewhere in there. Yeah, but, he got um, get ninety nine goals. It was a bit unlucky. You think he made a hundred, wouldn't you? But uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, he he's very. Uh, he was very classy, wasn't he? he good good he, player. You could yeah. think he looked a bit lazy and then he suddenly accelerate. Um, uh, I got very excited at the end of the 60s. It was at 69-70 when they Brighton looked like they might get promoted. And then I think it was the spring. They collapsed, lost a lot of games and finished fifth. And I thought that would have been a nice end to the 60s to have got promoted. Was Sexton the manager by then? Um, no, sixty. It may still have. Who took over from? Uh, well, I can't no, remember. Sexton who... didn't take over from Macaulay, did he? I can't remember. No. He took over from Macaulay. Uh, yeah, no, I can't remember. But they nearly got up. And uh, into the seventies, I started looking at players like um, O'Sullivan. Mm. Peter O'Sullivan and, and, Steve, and Steve Piper I think I remember the commitment of Steve Piper one of the most committed players I ever saw I think Was I he mean, a te- local boy? Was he a Brian boy? Oh, he was, yeah, local Yeah, uh, I mean technically maybe he wasn't great but he gave always gave 100% hmm. I mean if he tackled somebody 
they knew they'd been tackled. (laughs) Paul Tank Clark was a bit the same way when he tackled people. Both of them, when they tackled people, they stayed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I I remember certain players stand out, don't they? You're always in your mind. Ken Beamish, I think, in the early 70s. We got promoted, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, 71, 72. And, uh, yeah, that was that was the season. There was that very odd match at the end of the season. Do you remember? But, um, Albion needed a point to go up. Rochdale needed a point to stay up. Hmm. Funny thing is, there was a one-all draw, wasn't there? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I, I was um, thrilled about that and also a little bit worried. <laughs> it didn't quite chime hmm. with me, but. I soon got over it. <laughs> yeah, we've, there's been other um, occasions where that scenarios occurred, hasn't it? Including the, uh, on, we're on the receiving end as, as an hour. Oh, well, that's time. right. Yeah, it did. It did work. It, it worked. Southampton Spurs. Yeah, that's right. Seventy-eight. Hmm. That was all. Was that on goal difference? Well, it was pretty close anyway, wasn't it? I can remember being at the Goldstone while Spurs and Southampton were playing, and lots of people had trans- transistor radios as they were. Oh America. yeah, yeah. And we knew they were drawing, and we were winning. Oh. Um, playing somebody like Blackburn or somebody like that, I can't remember. And we won our game, so we did what we needed to do. Yeah. But we knew by the end of the game that uh, it didn't matter, which was a. And we had again about thirty, twenty-nine, thirty thousand people in the ground that day. Yeah, fantastic, Phil. At this point as well, just one question for me from the notes you sent over, talk, talking about some of your uh, uh, memories. Um, I like the bit where you've said as well from slightly earlier on in time. I always liked elegant fullbacks, and I think oh, that's yeah. an interesting comment because I think I, I agree with you. I like that as well, and I think it's, um, it's yeah. Obviously, I the ones that stick out are, are Baxter, Bobby Baxter, yes, and, and and probably the best one of the best left backs I ever saw for Brighton was Mel Hopkins. Yeah, experts, yeah, brilliant. Experts. He was tall, wasn't he? But but yes, not un, was, yeah. but not ungainly. Not in a damn burn way, then. He <laughs> <laughs> was very graceful, but they had, uh, what, Steve Gatting did a turn at left bank, didn't he? Yeah. And uh, well, Eddie, Eddie Spirit. He did hmm. one turn at right back in the replay of the FA Cup final. Where it took him about 20 minutes to learn how where he should be. And of course, <laughs> he was so left-footed, at which yeah. time Manchester United were 3-0 up. So that, oh, because, yeah, that because Ramsey had been injured. Yeah. In the first match, we were stretched. Yeah. And Gary Williams was another one, wasn't he? Left yeah. He, was, he, he scored was... a cracker goal goal once up at, against Notts Forest. And, and, and we beat Notts Forest, who were then sort of kings of Europe. And they certainly didn't expect to lose at home to sort of little old Brighton and Hove Albion. Yeah. So... Mm. But some strikers who, who didn't make my book were still played a big part of... Ken Beamish, it was a 71-72 season, I think, when, when they went up. He, he was, he, he played a terrific part in it. Um, I always thought that Pat Saywood was hard done by, he, he built a successful team. And then he saw, then he saw it needed improving and the board wouldn't give him the money or couldn't give him the money, might be fairer. And of course, I think they went down, and he certainly he got moved over, didn't he? But, um, 
who was it? Was it someone who went? Who was it who went down and organised sort of fans to raise money and did a a, a walk down uh, down the seafront? Well, one of the managers. Of... Yeah, I don't recall. Yeah, I don't recall. We raised quite a sum of money and were able to go out and buy a player. Yeah. Was that, and they bought Burt Murray, didn't they? Didn't I think, didn't they buy Burt Murray with that? Wasn't he the people's player? Well, that might have been a second, but there was certainly at one time before that. I think. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I like Mullery's team, though. I thought Mullery's team was very exciting to watch. Actually, I played against Mullery once. <laughs> I, really... I, I, I was I was very proud of the fact that I won a tackle against him. I, <laughs> I was playing left back for the Sussex Journalists uh, against an Albion side in a charity match at Lansing, and uh, say for a few seconds I felt dead chuffed. And then Mallory marooned me. He actually, like I was glued to the pitch with a pass that let in the winger for a goal, and as if to say, "Touche," you know. <laughs> I can do that to you any time I like, you know. <laughs> Whereas you can't beat me in a tackle any time you like. Yeah, that's yeah. reminded me of a friend of mine actually, Tim, who listens to the pod as well. Hello to Tim Palmer, who um, I think as a kid uh, they had a thing with um, Mark Lawrenson came over and uh, apparently not made Lawrenson through the legs. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I'm not sure we'd be able to get away with that on another occasion. <laughs> oh dear! You, you yeah. mentioned um, you mentioned Brian Horton earlier. And I, I remember the season when Ward got uh, 36 goals and yeah. set that record. Six, 76, I think, 77, when they won promotion. But m- my memory of that season was Horton, was like a, a massive sort of dynamo in midfield, and added, I think, about nine goals or so. Uh, so that is, that's a big memory for me. At that time, I had changed jobs. I, I was working as a journalist, and... I didn't get to see the Albion as much as I wanted to. I was also still playing too. And I was raising a family, so didn't get to see the Albion every single week, which was a bit of a pity because there were some successful times. Yeah. Although I was rather glad to miss most of the Clough Taylor era. <laughs> hmm. well, <laughs> remember, I remember his uh, infamous, was it Taylor's quote, wasn't it? About, um, the Albion players being a bunch of amateurs and layabouts. Oh, yes. I don't think that did him much good in the dressing room. Well, <laughs> I must say, one of my memories of, of the sort of sort of 40 days or whatever it was that club had uh, at the Albion, it wasn't very long, but uh, going up to uh, Walton and Herschel and getting beaten in the, in the cup. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But a trifle embarrassing. I think they, I think they made some good signings. Didn't they sign Mellor? or one of them signed Mellor? Yeah, I think, I think Taylor did some good. Taylor, signings. Taylor. yeah, t- Taylor did, and I think possibly Binney, Fred Binney was. Well, Peter Ward was a was a Taylor sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, right. yeah, yeah. Raymond, I should correct you. Um, Taylor um, Clough wasn't just forty days, was he? It's forty-four days was at uh, Leeds. Yeah, uh, Leeds. Yeah, Leeds. but I, I felt that he wasn't. At, at, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I wasn't sure how much he was even when he was the manager. But, yeah, exactly, uh, yeah. If that makes sense. But, I yes. think everyone of, of that era re- can remember a ward goal, can't they? I can. Yeah. I was I was on the East yeah. Terrace and uh, Ward picked the ball up, 
only about three yards from the sideline. And he he started a slalom run like a skier. And he had the ball glued to his boot, drew out the goalie and slotted it in the goal. It's an incredible goal. I don't know how many players he beat. Must have been four or five. And uh, I've always remembered that goal. And I think that's why people love Ward. He's, he was a bit different, wasn't he, from uh, look, looking at my book. He had a different style to almost all the other Albion strikers. Uh, the others were fairly tough, direct. Well, he was tough, he, but he was more strong. He relied on guile and uh, and sheer skill to get past people. But I, I remember Mullery saying that he was also a very brave player. Hmm. It was a pity. It's a pity he didn't make it in the higher grade. He didn't really, did he? So, he but yeah, I remember one. He played for England on under twenty threes, I think it was then, and. I'm not sure if it's his debut or not, but I think he scored a hat trick in, in a game for the under 23s. Yes, yeah, but he never made an England career, did he? No. For some, for some reason, but, I don't but, know why. I personally have a view that there is a, that as certain managers suit certain clubs and not others, I think certain players suit certain clubs and not others, mm. and I just wonder if yeah, what in leaving Brighton lost something when he went to Knott's Forest and, and, and so on. I, I just never felt he had quite the same impact mm. after he, as he had had down at, on the South Coast. I, I, suspect, don't know he, I don't know whether he would agree with that or not. but uh, I suspect that there was a different atmosphere because he, he, he always said, didn't he, love the atmosphere at the Albion. And I suspect there was a different atmosphere at Knott's Forest. Mm. But, Clough expected them to win and probably behave like monks most of the time, yeah. I should think. I, I wonder really if you wasn't... might have... Sorry, sorry, Phil, I was going to say, but... I wonder if you might have flourished under a different, just a, a randomly different manager in the yeah, top. Absolutely. Well, he, he, he didn't get on. He didn't get on with Clough, did he? Um, <laughs> there was a time when he, uh, Albion had him on, I think he met him on loan, didn't they? I think. Yes, that's and, right. And Ward wanted to go back to the Albion, particularly as they were they were about to reach the cup final, wasn't it? It's yes. 83, yeah. yeah. And uh, Clough is, is said to have told Ward, I've never played at Wembley and you're not going to. Very, yeah, we had very people. generous, I thought. Yeah, <laughs> lovely, isn't it? Lovely guy. Yeah, he said he said the same thing to us when he came on. Oh, board. did he? Yeah, all right. It seems seems true, unless he's making it up, of course. But it, doesn't, it, doesn't well, seem it, it, it sounds like club, doesn't it? It does. Oh, it absolutely. Seems, yeah, I could. It sort of rings true. I can almost I was picture it. Phil the other day about uh, uh, the play, the, the new play, Dear England, um, about uh, Southgate and the England team, which I was highly. Oh yes, yeah. I've seen that advertised quite widely. By the way, yeah. Yeah, it was quite good actually. Enjoyed I might, I must, I might get get along. I'll get my, my indoor footballers together. We could do a little party up there, up to London. Hey, go and see the big city. <laughs> well, I mean, the, I mean, the, the night we went, I, 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 virtually everybody in the auditorium was a football fan. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, and and those that weren't, such as the American tourist next to me, she she was kind of fascinated by it anyway. She was saying, "Oh, this is interesting because it's totally different." She's really into theatre and acting and everything, and she was saying, "Oh, it's really great to, to sort of see this kind of thing and how the culture of football plays its part 
even on the stage, the great stages of uh, of England. That was at National Theatre, the uh, the play. Um, but did she get yeah. the jokes? Did she yeah, get the I, jokes? I think she uh, well, she laughed along with them. <laughs> Whether she got them or not, I don't know. Because <laughs> it's kind of said the Americans don't do irony terribly well. <laughs> well, she wouldn't have got the the, the Sam Allardyce pint of whiskey, a uh, pint of um, wine joke. That's, oh, no. that's just due to knowledge of that. She would have just thought it was disgusting. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. You, you mentioned, Phil, that you play indoor football still to this day. I think Peter yeah. Ward does that, actually, isn't he? You have to give him a game. He does. He plays in Florida, and he also coaches um, several youth teams out there. And, yeah. uh, he, he, of course, he did make a, a bit of a living at indoor football after he retired from the serious stuff. Um and, and, and he settled settled well out there, I think. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean the guys I play with are incredible. They're um they're all now at least over seventy. And we got one eighty one year old who's Brilliant. still playing and he's and he's good. He's not there as a token gesture. But every time we talk about this to anybody they say, Ah, walking football and we say no, no. We're never playing walking football. If we can't <laughs> run, we're going to just stop. <laughs> but uh, it, they're a great bunch of blokes. I was very. I, I, we've been playing ten years now. Well, ten years next year, and um, I was very lucky to find them because they, at that age, playing indoor football, you've got to be the right sort of blokes. You, you can't have the chopper Harris's of this world, can you? Hmm. And they're all decent blokes. So yeah, yeah, I enjoy that. But I, I'm glad. Phil, I'm glad that, about the equality of the sexes because you you play up up at the girls' school. Oh yeah, uh, so don't you? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah. They're very good to us up there, actually. Yeah, I, I quite enjoy that. I mean, tell us about the book, Phil. Tell us about the story that you've gone on. The book. Well, the book is. I've written two previous books, as I mentioned, one on Tommy Cook and another one on Charlie Webb. The reason I wrote them was because I thought no one had written a book about them, and they deserved to be remembered. I was Mm. was quite astonished that no one had written a book about either of them. And then I started thinking the same about the Strikers. Um, And so I I thought I'd put this book together. Uh, The problem is, of course, you know, some of them go way back to 1920s. So the research has taken me more than a year. In fact, I'm still doing it. I'm still, I'm still looking at uh, players, um, some information. Uh, in fact, I've had three phone calls this week from an appeal I put in the Shropshire Star of all papers. I've got three three responses from that. Uh, I'm trying to track some relatives of Arthur Atwood, who was one of the most consistent goal scorers for Albion. Um, the book. The book really rates players not on the number of goals they scored, but their consistency. So it's broken down into the goals they scored per 90 minutes. And that was complicated because in modern football, there were substitutions. So you had to be fair about it all. Um, anyway, with the help of Tim Carter, we, I formed a, a table of players. And uh, I don't want to give too much away about the book, but there's some quite some surprises near the top of the list. Uh, and some of the players you thought might be near the top aren't because they played a lot of games. They might have scored a lot of goals, but they played a lot more games. Mm. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously Napier's there, Ward, <laughs> Murray, Zamora. They're all great names, aren't they? Yeah. But then it's you've famous. got like, Atwood and Jack Doran and places like that. Yeah. So, there's some good now. stories. Sorry to interrupt you. Sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, you've got, literally got an A to Z, haven't you? Atwood to, to Zamora there. Yeah. Yeah, really. Even though it's not actually an A to Z. It's yeah, a... it's not an actual. Yeah. Well, then, I mean, Cook, Cook was the, is the most fascinating story, really, because, I mean, his tale is one of, um, romance and failed marriages and childhood hero. He was a wartime hero. And yeah. then he was a superb double sportsman, football and cricket. And then as an epic goal scorer and then a disastrous manager. <laughs> and then he had a tragic death. I mean, uh, and then he got remembered all of a sudden again. Um, so well, thanks to you, I think, Phil. <laughs> and I don't think his uh, 123 goals, now I'm sure there's some Albion fans out there going to dispute this, but I don't think his 123 goals will ever be beaten. Well, uh, probably not. If if we manage to do what we want to do, which is to stay where we are, or, or even improve, then probably not, because... Um, being as we're not one of the big six or seven or whatever you want to call it, anyone who's able to score the number of goals in yeah. a shorter season than you know yes, traditionally exactly. yeah. uh, is going to get snapped up. And obviously we're thinking of Evan Ferguson most not- notably. Um, I think he might stay with us longer than most other players of his standard might have done because I think he's a level-headed guy and he's already picked us over Liverpool are man for his development purposes when he first signed for us. Yeah. Um, he might stick around for a bit, but I don't think he's going to stick around long enough to get... Well, I, I think uh, I think Cook was with Albion for eight years. So, you know, yeah. I, I can't see the modern player. Modern player is very mobile. Yeah. Uh, and some of them are quite mercenary. Hmm. So, um, yeah, they move on, don't they? So uh, I, I, I'm fairly confident about that. Um, yeah. I mean, if one looks at the Saudi Arabia, Arabian Gravid Trail, uh, it's a bit like the sort of Westward Ho, isn't it? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> you know, um, rather than going to California for the gold rush, you're, you're actually going to um, Saudi Arabia for the end of the oil rush. Yeah, yeah. it's like, like a graveyard for the old football donkeys, really. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's, I, I've sort of thought I have in my mind is that these sort of clubs that are owned by nation states. Um, I think if they want to go and join the Saudi Arabian Pro League, so some Man City, Newcastle and places like that, they're welcome. And their fans can obviously travel out to watch the away games in Saudi Arabia every other week. <laughs> yeah. uh, might cost them a, yeah. oh, I'm sure, uh, get subsidised travel on the, on whatever airline it would be appropriate. Um, I mean, I suppose it's easy to criticise them, but... 600 grand a week, 600 grand a week is uh, quite tempting money, isn't it? <laughs> well, I mean... If you're coming to the end of your career. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm not sure it's in what sense that you can be sort of slating that sort of thing off one moment and taking the money the next. But apart from, from that sort of comment, um, yes, I mean, it, <laughs> well, I can understand somebody 33 wanting to, to secure the financial uh, well-being of his family going forward. Yeah, well, I know we might be alluding to a certain person there. Um, I've, I've been dissing quite heavily on the recent pods, Jordan Henderson, but he, 
I mean, you'd think somebody who's been at Liverpool for what, seven, eight years is on pretty good money. I don't know what he was on exactly, but it's probably something close to six figures, if not in six figures. He, you know, he should be able to have secured his family's future already. I don't know his personal circumstances and if he's got some sort of, you know, some, some other lots of money yeah. going for one reason or another. But it does seem like, oh, yes, on the one hand, it's very tempting, but also when you've, when you've put a moral stance in earlier into the equation, and then you you do go for what can only be thought of as the money, given the status of the league in global terms, and with other options surely available to him, if not with Liverpool. Um, and there's plenty of other players you could say that about as well, albeit they may, maybe haven't made the moral stance statement in advance. Um, but it's, yeah, it does seem a world away, and it's certainly a world away from a lot of these players that you've written about in your, your book, Phil, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, they were on... Um... Eight pounds a week, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Still no, that, that was eight pounds a week if you were in the first division and yeah. if you were in the first team. But some of the Brighton players in the reserves were on two pounds fifty, three pounds a week. Okay, I know you, you could buy a lot more then, but not that much more. <laughs> I mean, I can remember when I first left school in '64, uh, buying a pint for about one and ninepence. Oh my. yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, the sort of you know, the ordinary bitter and the local, well, then it doesn't exist anymore, but North Star Pub in North Ditchling, um, or uh, any of the, you know, playing at the, at the Sergeants and Arms in Hayward Teeth after we played, I played rugby against Hayward Teeth, all those sort of things. I mean, it, money did seem to go further. Um, I mean, guys like uh, Jack Doran and Charlie Webb, they, uh, who were top goal scorers, they, they were earning probably about the same as a skilled bricklayer. And in fact, some of the bank clerks who were on the terraces at the Albion were earning more than the players. So, you know, it was, and of course, the bank clerks weren't risking serious injury. Hmm. And if you got well, seriously no. injured, you, you didn't really recover in those days because the, the treatment well, was not great. I have to say, it's, it's probably, Phil, I've had a horrendous week with banks this week, not not moving my money when I wanted them to in the structure. <laughs> I won't go into it and be referred to. Uh, they, they were flagging it up as a doubtful thing. I won't go into the full story. But if I'd been anywhere near a bank clock uh, recently, <laughs> they would have been in danger of serious injury. But, <laughs> um, you know, it, it's... I think I think the point's well made, but I think one has to give perhaps it's gone too far now, but thanks to Jimmy Hill that people did get better paid. Oh, absolutely. And of course, yeah. Jimmy ended his life um, living in Ditchling. So he's very much not only Sussex, but mid-Sussex and not a million miles away from uh, from the Amex. Well, when yeah. you think um, Finney, Tom Finney was England's national. He was still working as a plumber. Yeah. Playing for England and and filling crowds were sixty thousand for Preston. Incredible, yeah. isn't it? To think of that. It, it, it seems absurd, doesn't it? He was probably fixing someone's bathroom in the Saturday morning. 
<laughs> went went out with deep dive in the afternoon. And you in the afternoon, yeah. And I think from what I heard as well, they, they, they were pla- I think it was Man United. There were some people tried to sign him, and he never got to hear about the bid. He didn't even know they'd come in for him, oh, and that yeah. shows where the pla- the power has changed from players not even hearing about bids to now have calling all the shots and going on strike and all the all the rest of it. Well, I think yeah, I think up to about. Up to the 60s, I think players were, frankly, a little more than serfs. They, um, yeah. If there was any money being made, it was by the directors. Yeah. It certainly wasn't being made by the players. And, but, but you mentioned Tom Finney. I mean, what a player. I mean, he, he, he left wing, right wing, centre forward even. Um, you know, he, he was the most complete attacking. Yeah. Complete attacking. That's right. Matt Busby said... Mm. Matt Busby, who wasn't a bad judge, he uh, he said he thought he was the nearest thing to George Best. And George mm. Best wasn't bad, was he? But but George Best, I I know I can never see Best playing at centre forward. I can see Best playing at left wing, right wing, inside forward, but not at not as the, a number nine, which Finney could. No, do. it was fairly fairly, dec- fairly decent header of the ball, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. And of course, I mean, there was a brief time when we had Stanley. At least I say we because I support Scotland. But um, the, uh, there was Matthews on one wing, Finney on the other, and for a very brief period, Tommy Taylor at centre forward. Oh yeah, not a bad lineup, is it? <laughs> Pretty good going. Well, gentlemen, should we have a quick break there? It feels a timely moment. Um, and then in part two, we'll talk a bit more about the book and uh, the rest of your uh, your Albion experiences as well, uh, Phil, going forward, and, and also your opinions, of course, on the current team, which uh, is something of some great excitement, isn't it, at the moment? Okay, suitably refreshed. We're back with part two. And we were talking uh, just before the break about uh, George Best, amongst other things. And I think, Raymond, you wanted to uh, close off that subject with a bit of an anecdote, didn't you? Well, uh, I, I used to live a share of flat, uh, which we rented, a studio flat with a, a great mate who um, was a contemporary of Ray Bloom's at uh, Brighton Home Grammar School. Oh. Uh, and uh, He was actually captain of... of of the soccer eleven, uh, I don't think Ray, Ray Bloom was in it actually. But anyway, they were contemporaries, so there's a sort of Albion connection. And we were drinking in our local pub, the Duke of Wellington, of course. Uh, needless to say, and uh, George Best uh, came in with uh, the actress Carol White. And this was about 1970, 71, the sort of period. And after a few drinks and things, uh, George went out to get some fresh air which was actually the last we saw of him for the evening, leaving Carol White there. And my <laughs> friend, uh, Bob Norfolk, um, had to end up taking her back in his car um, to to where she was living at the time. She was completely abandoned. I think he, he was just out of it at that time, which was a great shame. Um, you know, was, I, I thought yeah, he was a gentleman. <laughs> and so did Bob. But it was, I mean, yeah. the last, yeah. last I ever saw of him. I'm still waiting for him to come back to the pub. So uh, whatever it is, uh, 50 years later. <laughs> yeah, to see him live was something. That, you know, I saw him at the 68 Cup final and European Cup final. And to see him live, superb acceleration and control. Although he didn't have his best game hmm. that, that day. John Aston, of all people, outshone him. 
Oh. <laughs> um, and then Phil, you were going back to the Albion. So um, we were talking about sort of the seventies period, weren't we? And then Mullery, etc. And I mean, move that that's into my era as well, by the way, by this point, um, 79, 80 was my first season and um, some interesting times. Obviously, uh, we had that uh, controversy we talked about earlier, the, the Southampton Saints game preventing us from getting promoted. The next oh, year, yeah. get promoted yeah. and then had four years in the top flight, 79 to 83. And there were the fences that Goldstone brought in, weren't there? Remember, there was, a, there was yes. a, a riot, yeah. a bit of a riot. I don't think it was that massive, but it was big enough for the authorities to put fences up that really dismayed me actually seeing fences at the Goldstone was I mean obviously uh, in that in that area we had obviously strikers we had Michael Robinson who I think is still the scored the most goals in the top flight for, for the he has. Well, yeah he has that's interesting because uh, I was having this discussion with somebody else because um, Robinson scored uh, 37 so, goals yeah. 37 goals in the first division. No, hmm. it was then the top flight. And of course, the top flight now is the Premier League. Yeah. And Pascal Gross is the top scorer. With 27, I think. 28, 28. Oh, is it 28 now? Right. Yeah, I what, think what, with, with, what, 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 with, <laughs> but I mean, Robinson was a marvelous player, and he also he was scoring goals when Brighton weren't playing particularly well. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's easy to overlook him, isn't it? But he he's down on my list as one of Brighton's finest players that I ever saw play. Anyway, he had power and intelligence, yeah. which is quite a combination, I think. As you said, doing it at the top flight with a team that wasn't functioning at its best. I think it struggled. I think it struggled in every season. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I always thought that he and Gordon Smith were a, a good combination. Yeah. I remember one famous occasion. I, I mentioned it at a meeting that, that Gordon came to, that the Seagulls over London had, that uh, Gordon uh, got the ball, beat a couple of players, got to the byline, um, dribbled the ball towards the goal along the byline and pulled it back to Robinson, who scored. But the referee ruled the goal out for Smith being offside. Oh. Yeah. Gordon, when I referred to it, he, he remembers it. I mean, everybody in the ground was flabbergasted, which meant that all the goals that Stanley Matthews created were offside. Uh, half of the goals that Tom Finney had created were offside and uh, and probably about yeah. the same yeah. George yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. because your momentum takes you down the line doesn't it yeah and you're in, yeah. in front of the player yeah it's crazy actually the, the, I think that's quite important um, doubles isn't it in strikers and it, I mean it goes way back I remember in my book I mentioned Sam Jennings and him and Hugh Valance knocked up 60 goals between them in one season because Valance was a naughty boy and uh, he got kicked out of the club in the end for serious misdemeanours which have never have never been uh, quite resolved. There have been rumours, I'm probably not sure that I should repeat them <laughs> but there have been uh, you know, sort of duos haven't there? Hmm. Um, 
was trying to think. Warden Mellor was another one, wasn't it? Warden Mellor, they, yes. they, they played quite well together. Yeah, I mean, yes, I mean, Mellor, very underrated. Spider, as they call him. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I, I remember I was in I was in the West End once and Mellor scored from, we were talking about this the other night, didn't we? I think um, Mellor scored from about 40 yards, didn't we? It was oh, almost on the halfway line. I mean, wasn't he right out on the wing? I mean, right, on the left wing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, sort of about a yard from the touchline. And he just stopped it. <laughs> and it sped into the goal. I couldn't believe it. But he was a very skillful player. Pretty, pretty underrated. I, mean, I, I still, to this day, don't think Ward would have got more than half the goals than, that he did without Mellor. No, no. But they didn't sort of... You didn't know how many assists people got in those days. So No, no, they weren't quite so obsessed with statistics, were they? <laughs> yeah, it's all changed. I would have to go back to the old Argus reports and wade through them to read how many times <laughs> Jack Aldridge or John Vinicum, who was writing at the time, actually said, and Ward scored from Mellor's pass, to actually be able to get yeah. that particular statistic. Yeah, yeah, they just didn't have assist statistics, did they? That's well, I know, I know, Bill Hastings got an assist uh, for um, Charlie Webb in the uh, Charity Shield final, <laughs> and that was a long time ago. So that's one statistic you can have for an assist. Because Bill Hastings, Bill Hastings that's, the one, uh, that's the one trophy we, we've got, isn't it? Yeah, ten. Yeah, but. Um, there are. There's an assist I remembered, Bill Hastings, way, way back. <laughs> Somehow appropriate that somebody called Hastings <laughs> yeah. to have the assist when we went on something, given the Battle of Hastings. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Sussex yeah. information as well, yeah. Um, so, oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, Phil, so you, you wanted to talk about the cup final as well, of course, 1983. Um, yeah, yeah your experiences was, um, for, well, we all know because we all know the story, don't we? But, but when Smith missed that late chance, I actually paced up and down the garden for probably a fully 10 minutes. I, I just couldn't, I was in frus- frustration, got to me. <laughs> My wife wondered what I was at. It, it, actually, the truth of that, isn't it, that Bailey made a great save? I, That's I, a good save, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. People class it as a miss, but I don't know. It, was, it did prove it did prove one thing. A great belief of mine is, if you draw with a top side, you're more likely to lose the replay. Yeah, especially a team as good as Man United were then. They're not now, but um, yeah. So, and that that happened to the album, didn't it? Unfortunately. Um, I, I... I remember asking Gordon about that at the meeting I referred to earlier. And Gordon said he didn't expect Michael Robinson to pass to him. Hmm. And uh, he thought Michael was just going to, you know, blast the ball. That's that's ironic, isn't it? Because it it was typical of Robinson, in a way, to do the spade work and lay the ball off. He he wasn't a selfish player. So it's it's just ironic, really. Well, I think he... (laughs) I think I think Robinson was knackered, and so knackered. He yeah, yeah, of, yeah, he just wanted to offload the um, ball. Yeah, but, but yeah. also he passed yeah. to the one. I mean, Gordon was obviously up there, but I think he passed to the one player 
on the Brighton side who wasn't going to just blast it, no. who actually controlled it with one touch and then shot with his right foot, shot with his left, the opposite way to which Bailey was moving. Yes. He had the technique to do yeah. the correct thing, kept it's it low, yeah. doing the correct thing, yeah. Yeah. didn't yeah. score. A little bit more power, he might, it might have got past the goalie, but he went really for accuracy, didn't he? I mean, if he just blasted it, he probably would have scored. <laughs> uh, that's the yeah. first time, bang. That, you know. The way I played, that's what I would have done. <laughs> I, I mean, Phil, I was at Wembley that day, and of course I didn't hear the commentary, and Smith must score. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I only heard it when I got back home and watched the match. Uh, I uh, imagine, imagine being a player and having that hanging on to you all the time. He takes well, it in quite on, good humour, doesn't he? Well, won't it be on yeah. Gordon? Um, he's, he's apologised. I think it's something like seventy-five thousand times for it now, isn't oh, it? Really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said he doesn't mind. He's, he's I think perhaps people me. might actually leave him alone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it made him famous in a curious way. Yeah, it did, didn't it? I mean, it's one of the most famous way. commentaries. Yeah. 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 So um, we aren't saying we aren't debating who who was it who missed the goal. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. Well, we're not even sure he missed it, are we? We we think it was exactly. safe. <laughs> yeah. Council for Semantics. the defence said. No, to be fair, actually, I think that's a good way of putting it that he didn't miss it. It was Bailey saved it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it still got partially through Bailey's legs anyway. I mean, it, Bailey. No, I say a, a little bit more power. It might just have squeezed home. Yeah, true. Um, a huge game for us. Unfortunately, we couldn't get that first um, first FA Cup win and we're still looking now um but a major major day in our history and we all relive that and wish just got in that day in 1983 and we went through an awful lot over the coming years a little bit of financial mismanagement perhaps leading to us getting into a bit of a mess mess into a mess a bit like i have to say in that sentence um <laughs> and then obviously we got some dodgy owners and yeah everyone knows about the uh the history of what happens um but there was that last game at the Goldstone, 1997. Phil, you you wanted to talk about that as well in particular. Um, obviously, a very huge match in our history. The last ever game. Yeah. I mean, it, it was actually huge in, in two ways, of course. It was the last game at the Goldstone. Hmm. And we needed to win. We needed to win against Doncaster. Um, because, uh, obviously, as we all remember, we had that last day survival at Hereford. Um, but at the time, I was working for Evening Argus, and uh, I was part of quite a big team that covered that match at Goldstone. And I recall walking across Hope Park, and I'd often walked across there uh, mm. towards matches, and I was I was interviewing fans, taking photographs. And what struck me was there was a mixture of sadness and anger in their voices. Mm. And I have to say that, uh, in retrospect, the behaviour of some of the fans at the final whistle was pretty disgraceful. I know some of the fans who are listening who have probably got souvenirs in their houses mm. probably think I'm being a bit stuffed shirt about this, but um, the breaking down of goalposts and ripping up of seats didn't kind of strike a very good chord with me. It was a sad day in every way, but... Um, the only positive thing was the result, wasn't it? And, uh, and then we survived. And then look where we are now. So, yeah. I mean, 
I listened to the Hereford game on the radio and it absolutely shredded my nerves. <laughs> and then a guy who'd hardly scored any goals came on and slaved Albion's bacon. It's amazing, amazing, amazing end to a very nerve-wracking season, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting take on the dismantling of the stadium. I remember watching a programme and they were talking about how uh, you could hear the noise of all the clacking of seats being broken and all that sort of thing. I mean, it yeah. is ultimately, you could say, vandalism in one way. I mean, I, I don't particularly mind, mind it because, you know, the thing was going, was, was being shut down anyway. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a... There's a debatable one on on behaviour, but um, I wouldn't normally condone that sort of thing, obviously. But it was a tumultuous but, time. But the worst thing about it, probably, uh, Russell, is probably saved the then owners money because they'd done some of the dismantling for them. Yeah, they saved the money. So actually, you could argue it was counterproductive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. so there they were saying, "Oh, thank you very much. That saved us a couple of thousand quid. Thank you yeah. very much, fans." Talking about this Madison goalpost, I can remember watching a Chelsea game, and in those days I sat just in front of the the director's box with Mike Bamber, and we were playing Chelsea, and Chelsea actually won the game. And uh, a lot of their fans then, in sort of celebration, ran onto the ground, and a couple of policemen came on, chased them all, and they then realised that there were only two policemen, so they turned around and they attacked the two policemen, got them on the ground and kicking them. Oh, and there was oh. one policeman standing down in the lower terrace in front of me, and he wouldn't go to help his mates. And I was actually shouting at him and telling him to go and do so. But one of the things they did, they went to the south stand uh, goal, and they actually swung it on the, on the crossbar and they broke it. Hmm. And uh, it was, you know, needless to say, it was Chelsea fans. And uh, you know, it was bad behaviour. And I, haven't really had that high uh, an opinion on not all, but most of the Chelsea fans since then. And uh, I thought it was disgraceful. I mean, slightly more understandable if they'd lost, but they'd won the game. Mm. Well, yeah. So, yeah. well that... Raymond, I mean, I, with your Scottish heritage, I do need to uh, to mention about crossbar breakings. They got it down to an art. Uh, <laughs> the one time and I was coming back down and it happened to be the night before a Wembley match and um, I think Scotland lost that particular game as they did most of the ones at Wembley but I, I got the uh, train down and I couldn't get a sleeper or anything so I was I got a first class ticket and I actually had a sort of compartment to myself but the whole way down all the Scots there were drinking, and I could hear the bottles and cans going out of the window. And they were obviously starting for Scotland. And by the time we got into King's Cross at about <laughs> six in the morning, they were still shouting. So how they had a voice by the time they got to Wembley, I have no idea. But it's absolutely just non-stop booze, and I guess it would have been non-stop booze on the way back. I mean, but since then, I think the Scots supporters have learned to behave better. Yes, good, good. <laughs> um, and we all, we, uh, with Dean, Phil, let's, let's talk about with Dean. What were your experiences of that? Um, mostly wet and windy, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tick. I, I, I took my, I think I took, I don't know why I did it. I must have had a grudge, but, um, I took my daughter to her first football match <laughs> with Dean. <laughs> oh. 
and we we were playing Plymouth, and it was a lousy game, and the pitch was like a rice pudding, and it belted with rain, and we were there with these little plastic things they used to dish out, didn't they? Ponchos. Ponchos. So, uh, yeah. So uh, I don't think we went down the Albion again after that. But uh, I, I take my hat off. I didn't go regularly to the with Dean, to be honest, because I was doing other things. But I take my hat off to the, what it was, there was a hardcore of about 6,000 maybe, yeah. that went there every home game. And it, it was amazing, amazing feat of loyalty, I thought, to anyone who supported them in that time. And uh, I did actually help sponsor a game there. I don't know whether anyone remembers, but I think it was one Christmas they asked people to uh, give 50 quid, I think it was, and uh, you got a, a meal and stuff, and they gave you a little memento. But that was to help the club fund. And because mm. my granddad had played for them, I kind of felt obliged to uh, pay them back a bit. That was a game with Barnet, I think, and that wasn't much good either. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, I never saw a good thing down with Dean, but um, there were some good players. Uh, Bobby Zamora, of course. Yeah. I mean, I remember him because he was about 19 then when he first came. And his strength, he, he was a strong guy. And that, that really helped him on that pitch. I mean, they did their best with it, but it was very heavy, wasn't it? Yeah. And we did have some success, you know, for oh, promotion. Yeah. 12 years, incredibly. How we managed to do that, I don't know. With, uh, I suppose people didn't like playing there uh, to a greater degree than we didn't like playing there. <laughs> Maybe that helps. Um, and I, I, I guess the team, the crowds that went to Priestfield deserve even more praise. Oh, yeah. yeah. To make, I mean, Priestfield then, I think they've improved it, but then was not a great stadium. Hmm. Um, and, and it was quite a trip too, wasn't it, for every home game. Astonishing... Uh, it's interesting, you know, because occasionally I hear Albion fans whinging about a certain player or Albion have lost a couple of games, and I kind of think, were they ever around? Were they ever around at Withdean? Were they ever around at, at Priestfield? <laughs> well, soon we're going to have a generation who weren't, who literally no, weren't. That, that's true. Yeah. yeah, we've got we've been at uh, the Amex now for twelve years, haven't we already? Yeah, yeah. and you know, you could have a a lad of. 15, 16, who's yeah. only known the Amex for not having a living memory of, you know, more than maybe 12 years back. So in a few years' time, he'll be beating his brains out because we're not winning the European Cup. Yeah, or well, we failed to Champions do the double League. over Liverpool or something. Or the European non-Champions League, as I call it. But, but actually, <laughs> think, I've been thinking about that hardcore 6,000 pod. I mean, most of them must be sort of, certainly late 40s, sort of and, and upwards, there aren't you know, that many who um, no, are around. No. And it's that 6,000 with uh, under Dick Knight's sort of leadership, as it were, that kept the club going. Yeah. And uh, I think it's important that, uh, that the club and everybody else don't forget that it is, so I say, the older generations, the, the certainly the over, over 40s, That's who true. actually yeah. deserve some credit for uh, keeping things going. I'm not talking about on soul particularly, but I'm saying I think there was that generation that, that you're in, Russell, um, mm-hmm. that actually uh, the club yeah. going. And I think the club needs to remember that. So it must be in seventh heaven, mustn't they? So yeah. The Amex and and playing in Europe. It's just <laughs> well, it's an incredible achievement. I think Tony Bloom come into that that category. 
I mean, obviously, yeah. rather more so than the rest of uh, on the rest of the supporters. Oh yeah. Program, yeah, but he's of that that age, and uh, you know, yeah. it's uh, all credit to him and Dick Knight for turning the club round. Yeah, having having fan owners as we've had two in a row there, uh, and continuing now with Tony uh, in particular, you know, they're they're making a point of making sure people uh, watch a video about the history of the club, um, not just the playing possible playing and coaching staff, but other staff, I think, they do it for them as well. So they get a sense of the history and the sense of where they've come from to be where they are now. I think it, it contextualises it. It and, does. It does yeah. help, yeah. Yeah. And um, we certainly have had some disappointments <laughs> and some struggles and some strains and some angst all the way through. Um, in terms of another word to use, disappointments, I know you you were keen to talk about one of your, what you described as your one of your biggest disappointments, uh, just flipping back in time a little bit to the early 90s. Oh, um, yes. I can uh, guess at this point what it is. Go, go on, Phil. <laughs> well, it was the 91 Div 2 playoffs, weren't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I thought Albion were rather too feeble in that game. They they were beaten by Notts County, weren't they? And yeah. um the thing that struck me was I thought Gary Nelson would have been a fine goal scorer for the Albion, in fact, features in my book, uh, was unlucky to be left out of the playing squad. I, I know he wasn't very pleased about it. If you if you read his book, hmm. one of his book, books, he's uh, he's pretty forthright about it. <laughs> and I didn't rate Notts County at all. Um at the time, I didn't rate them, and I was proved right because they went down next season. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, dear old. I have to say, it was a good day out, apart from the result, to just to be up at Wembley with thousands upon thousands of Albion fans was, was still a good day out. And football fans are quite resilient, aren't they? On the way home, they'll have a few, have a few drinks and drown their sorrows. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that was that was a big big disappointment for me. Yeah. Well, if you can't take disappointment, you can't be an Albion fan. I mean, it's almost <laughs> yeah, sort of yeah. Uh, goes with the uh, goes with the territory, doesn't it? I think I think actually, when you think about it, it goes with about ninety five percent of clubs. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> at the moment, we've got one club, you know, Man City, who are dominating football. But uh, yeah, most most clubs, you know, that you follow, they're going to let you down quite a bit. <laughs> so you might as well get used to it. Yeah. And well, anyway. it's funny about how initially um, clubs that have had it certainly recently that had a spell of success, let's take Chelsea as an example, how um, they, they seem to get a sort of belief that they have a right to be successful. Mm. And I'm not sure I'm happy with that. Sort of attitude. I think the the long term fans, perhaps like you, Phil, where generations of the family have have actually supported the Albion or or that club. Yeah. But the sort of, I don't know, sort of almost West End element of the Chelsea fans who see, and the attitude is we're Chelsea. Oh, yeah. we, we, We have to be at the top. We have to do this. And yet they don't have a great heritage, do they? They don't have a good... Okay. They've won a few couple of European Cups, but they don't have the heritage that Arsenal have had and and Liverpool, things like that. Tottenham Mm. even. Tottenham even. True. You mentioned Man City, and City, again, you could use the same example of, say, a kid of 15 now would have 
um, experience even more than the Albion. They have an experience of of winning trophies on a regular basis and the level of expectancy there a whole generation are just are going to probably be objectionable 45 year olds um, sometime <laughs> down the line on <laughs> well i think some of the man new fans are having to get used to that yeah exactly <laughs> um phil to round off the the final categories um, i know you wanted to talk about your finest players and your what you consider your best players and then obviously we want to talk about the uh to finish off we want to talk about the current team and yeah of course I mean, so, we, I think I've mentioned most of the best ones. Um, Bobby Smith, obviously, uh, Napier, Norman Gall. Um, Barry Reese would have been, of course, it's a bit difficult to talk about Reese because he only played 12 matches. But, um, mm. yeah, we're talking about potential there, aren't we? Um, Peter Ward, um, one of the best footballers I've seen at that level, definitely. And Dave Turner, um, mm. and uh, I guess Horton. I mean, he was the powerhouse, wasn't he? Horton was a powerhouse. Yeah. I, I I greatly admired him. I don't think I ever saw him give less than a hundred percent in a match. Mm. And they talk about this nonsense about one hundred and ten percent. Well, it's oh, God, just a rubbish phrase. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but he he certainly gave a hundred percent. Um. Yeah. There's there's some of my best. Um. And Mike Robinson. I, game we talked about earlier I, th- I thought he did a tremendous job for the Albion uh, not, he's not always talked about that much beg your pardon right sorry about that mm-hmm. in there. yeah um, yeah. Well, what about Frank Worthington Worthington yeah well excellent footballer yeah but kind of frankly a bit of a passenger by the time he his best years were passed when we went here, but he, he was marvellous to watch, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, that's it, yeah. His skill was marvellous to watch, but everybody had to lay the ball on for him. <laughs> He's a maverick type of player, wasn't he? He was, yeah. And then there was Curry, who had that very good, particularly good season out on the wing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Curry was, yeah, they, they excellent players, yeah. Um, and the best of all time playing for the Albion, this is not just strikers in general. Um, who's it got to be for you? I think I know the answer to this. Well, I do because I've seen you put it in I an email. We know, <laughs> uh, I, I think we, I think that Lawrence was pretty near unbeatable, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, he, I, 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 my image of him is picking up the ball and walking past two or three players and then laying on a pass without seeming to try. And, yeah, um, I mean, you, you, you're quoted as saying, uh, made defending look absurdly easy in the message you sent us. Oh, um, yeah. Well, he did, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, I tried playing, tried playing centre-half. <laughs> I know how difficult it can be. <laughs> I made it look absurdly oh, difficult. Mario <laughs> said that his technique was terrible. He did everything wrong, but he always won the ball. <laughs> well... That's not a bad trait in one sense, is it? I suppose. Can anyone, can anyone <laughs> think of a better, better player than Lawrence? Well, it's it's a little bit hard to tell, isn't it? But I think you've, you've got to be looking if you're looking for anyone to the the current team. I know we're going to go on to talk about them right now. Oh yeah, I, I was kind of um, yeah, I was kind of leaving out the current team. Yeah, although I, it... I don't know. I think Lawrence would have obviously walked into the current team yeah. and been very successful in it. Yeah. 
it's it's a little bit hard to tell, isn't it? Really, because you're pl- talking about a different era with yeah, the different. You wouldn't have had the benefits of the current, um, uh, you know, all the current technology and recovery times, and you know, um, fine tuning your uh, your body and the physical side of things. If if you'd have wanted to go down that route, um, but also there isn't the benefit of time as well. You need time to absorb and reflect on those things, don't you, I guess? So leaving leaving the current team out, I think I'd probably say Lawrence. And I was a bit young when I saw him to, to have a really good perspective, but I, I, I doubt there's anyone better from past teams that I've seen. Yeah, he's a good... Foster was Foster was quite a good foil for him the, the, yeah. as a partnership, I thought. You talked about partnerships earlier. Uh, mm. so I thought the the Foster Lawrence partnership was a good one. Yeah, yeah. And Raymond, your you, you Lawrence and man, best ever. Lawrence, yeah. Before the current team, I would have had Lawrence as as my top. Uh, Vincente had the potential, didn't he? He didn't ever really. He was never fit enough long enough to have had a impact on more recent times. But obviously, it's a tremendous skill and great. Uh, but. Uh, Value for money, Horton, I would put in mm. of impact. Um, yeah. I mean, Jim Collins from the 60s. I, I, yeah, Collins, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and Kit Napier, who we'd spoke about earlier. I, I, I think, um, Graham Mosley, we haven't talked about goalkeepers, but, but Graham Mosley was, was, was good. And I thought Dave Hollins of an earlier era. I thought um, Gromit was, uh, Gromit was the, one of Burton's best goalers, do you not yep, think? Peter Grummet, yeah. Yeah. Pretty sound. Mm. Um, and what of the, the current team then? Let's bring it up to date. Um, I've got to get your opinions of what, what you think it is to be an Albion fan in this current era because it's absolutely making Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't, well, what do you make of the present, the present team and, and all that goes with it? Well, I think, I think, you know, I was thinking the going electric's all the rage now and the current team is. Is electric when it's at its best, which is most weeks. Yeah. Um, obviously, Ferguson excites me, really excites me. I mean, potentially he's got everything, hasn't he? His touch, accuracy, strength, intelligence. And he, he seems to gather experience quickly for a young player. That's, that's what you want to see, someone who learns quickly. And he does. I mean, only only himself can stop himself, I think, to be honest. I think he could go to the highest level. But then not far away from him is Matoma who who is excites me every time he picks up the ball. Yeah. Uh and he's he's gonna get better. Matoma's gonna get better. His use of the ball is gonna get better and then he's really gonna start terrifying people every week. And uh, of course you can't really ignore Dunk, can you? I mean Dunk is a the bonus for Dunk, he's a local lad, and uh, he's been a kingpin, hasn't he, for so long. You take him for granted, and it's—I it, thought it was wonderful to see him in the England team, and he played well, and he, he, did, he didn't—he didn't, he didn't <laughs> score an own goal. Yes, <laughs> like a certain person we could mention. Yeah, <laughs> he should have played the ball away with his left foot and his right, and he might have curled the ball out of the goal instead of into it. But yeah. we won't go into that technicality. No, Mind you, Dunk has scored the best own goal I've ever seen. Oh, really? the net. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but with that one at Liverpool, he actually got the ball. He kept it. It didn't hit the ground once. 
Yeah. He went back with it over the line and back out again. I mean, that was a great skill. Not yeah, great. <laughs> they, they forgot to tell him it wasn't meant to go over the goal line. <laughs> it's, a shame, um, it's a yeah. shame Dunk is, uh, what is, is he 32 now? I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Be, he, yeah. might, he might have beaten, I, I can't remember what Tug Wilson's record was, 400 odd goals, uh, games for the Albion. He might well have, uh, he might well have beaten Wilson, but he's not, I think he's going to run out of time, but especially playing at the level of the Premier League. You know. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's played a few hundred himself, hasn't he? Dunk. He's, mm. I'm not sure what the figures are, but, uh, numbers, but it must be, is it, I mean, three, it must be over 300. Yeah, it's over 300. It was, I think Wilson, without knowing the stats, was 400 odd, wasn't it? Incredible player, Wilson. Yeah. 14 seasons, wasn't it? The 14 seasons, no one could shift him from the left wing. He does well, actually... I mean, he was just a fixture, wasn't it? Because he became <laughs> the kitman. Right? Well, That's a new it. player would arrive and then the new player would depart. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> Wilson had seen him off like a, a wasp, you know, frighten them off. And then, of course, there was brother, Glenn, who was a very elegant player, from what I remember. Played alongside... Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because Wilson got seventy-one goals, so he he just qualifies for my book because there was a minimum goals of fifty uh, for the Albion. You didn't really get in the book, not in any great length, unless you got fifty goals. Uh, that was a purely arbitrary figure, but it seemed like a sensible figure. You know, if you can't manage fifty goals, you're probably not amongst the most consistent scorers, but. I mean, there were plenty of others who didn't score 50 goals. But... So, yeah, tugs there. Uh, uh, the, the, there were the likes of Fred Binney, who wasn't with us very long, who scored, had one season where he scored quite a lot. But, That's right, and yeah. Somebody who sort of, I always felt should have scored more goals was Keith Webber. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, that's going back a bit. <laughs> and Peter Donnelly. Uh, oh, Donnelly, yeah, yeah. But some of the crowd used to, um, if Donnelly came in, didn't they? they used to go, oh, Donnelly. But he, he normally gave a pretty good show, didn't he? Yeah, and he, he scored a, a reasonable number of goals. Yeah. He, um, did, didn't he come in on the wing for Gould occasionally? I think he did. Well, I think he, he said, I always think of him as playing inside left. Inside so, left, yeah. I like a number I, 10 today, but as, or, or a secondary striker. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, no, he was useful. In, in modern parlance. Um, but it's, you were talking about Lawrenson earlier, but what, what mouth-watering prospects of Duncan Lawrenson at centre half? Mm. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Something. Yeah. yeah. Um, incidentally, I looked it up according to Wikipedia, our good old friend Wikipedia. Uh, he's had 382, um, club uh, career appearances for the Albion, plus a couple on loan at Bristol City. So yeah, he's pushing towards, and should get way past the 400 mark um, during his time. Assuming we don't know how many Tug did got. It was 400 plus, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I, it was. Tug might have been up towards 500 plus. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but, I mean, other players we haven't mentioned. I mean, sort of Bruno as a club legend, um, right back. Um, as good a right back, I think, in this way as anybody I've seen. Uh, at right back, we don't seem to have because he has more good left backs. 
uh, you mentioned obviously Mel Hopkins and Bobby Baxter, but for a brief time we had Wayne Bridge for that season, mm-hmm. who was a good player. Very good player. And we had uh, 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 Kerry uh, Mayo. <laughs> yes, who scored well, an own goal at Hereford? Oh yeah, <laughs> the just just to, just to wind us all up. Yeah. Character, character. <laughs> but um, I, I like Lamptey actually. Lamptey's um an interesting case, isn't he? Because yeah. he set the team on fire when he arrived, and he's he's had injuries, and he's not really first choice at the moment. But hmm. I think he's an excellent footballer. I'm not. I'm watching his um career with interest let's say I don't if, he think... stay, if he can stay fit uh, it's just good if he could stay fit wouldn't it yeah I'm sure he can hold a place in some premiership team yeah I think like so. him as a footballer he's my, my type yeah. of player I, I do as well he's coming back to his well, it looks like the early signs he's coming back to his best or better uh, standard isn't he I think he may be shaking off his injury woes and the aftermath of that a bit more and um, yeah, I suppose the old bogey really with this season is uh, it's the old cliche, really, isn't it? But the pressure on them in playing in Europe, yeah, and maintaining their and what what is the squad about twenty six players, isn't it? Yeah. I think they're going to need every one of them. Absolutely, one of one of whom I think you described as possibly the most underrated of the current squad, Pascal Grosh. Oh yeah, yeah, he's going to be as, as we said earlier. He is. Actually, lead, the leading Premiership scorer, um, and he rarely wastes the ball, does he? He does remind me of Milner um, because he's a very tidy player. He's he's not flashy, and to my mind, he's got very little pace, but he doesn't need it because his brain's ticking over there all the time. I'm a great admirer of Gross. Uh, a lot of people aren't, are they? They they. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if it had another yard or so of pace, yeah, I think he would have cost us about a hundred million. <laughs> so yeah, 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 yeah. So that saved us some money. Yeah. <laughs> Such yeah, a great player. He's because he's been with us for the entirety of our Premier League era, yeah. um, as well. You know, he's synonymous with that, and I think he goes down as one of the all-time club legends for longevity in the top flight and performing. And as you said, now being the top scorer in the Premier League era, um, you know, he's, he's got, he's got it all. He's, he's going to be long, long remembered well after his time with us, I'm sure for setting the, the marker for these first few years of what hopefully will be many in the top flight. And, um, you know, he seems an all-round good guy as well. He's been written off as Bruno. You mentioned Bruno earlier, another player who many wrote off once or twice during their time at the Albion, and they came back seemingly stronger. Um, partly that might be to do with changes of coaches and so on and so forth. But overall, you know, he's uh, he's been brilliant, hasn't he, Pascal? And I'm delighted he got that Germany call up because he, he deserves to be an international as well. Um, as you said, pace, Raymond, maybe a reason why he wasn't picked sooner. But he's uh, his, his nous... His experience as it is now, and his general technique and skill are there. Um, he's worthy of a place, I think. And he, he came on as a sub, didn't he, for uh, for his debut for Germany? Um, what do you guys think of um, this policy of, of buying cheap and selling dear? Um, how long do you think the Albion can keep this up? Well, Phil, if I can answer that firstly, how long are we going to be? allowed to buy cheap 
that's part of the problem. The moment Brighton go in, I think now was where they were to sell to another club, say for five million. I think they're mm-hmm. going to say it's Brighton, see what we're doing, and immediately quote ten million or twelve million. I think yes. that's part of the problem. I think because you're right, um, yeah. I think we both Potter and I think Roberto Deserve are good at working with the young players. When they move away from that sort of comfort zone of Brighton, if I can put that, and, Cuc- and Cucurella, I think, is a good example of this. Yes. That they uh, will begin to struggle. So, yes, we get 55 or 63 million, depending on what happens with Cucurella for him. And Chelsea are now regretting it. Um, will they regret it? 115 million with Cucurella? I think not. I think it's too good a plan. But I, I actually personally think he's gone to the wrong club. I think he shouldn't have gone to uh, Chelsea. Um, I think he would have been handled better uh, at Liverpool, infinitely better. Um, but I, obviously, time won't tell us that because I, I won't be proved right or wrong. But I, I mean, if he doesn't do well at Chelsea, I might be proved right. Um, ben White's one of the few players we've sold for a good thing who, who has seems to have flourished in not his best position, incidentally. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a testament to him. But we obviously picked him up when um, from was it Portsmouth or somebody who, who or Southampton who were going to show him the door, and so we picked him up for nothing uh, and turned him into a player. Yeah. Burn surprised me well, but then he was a mature player when we got him and a mature player when we sold him um, at Newcastle. Um, but I think a lot of the players who play in Brighton because of our style of play now won't necessarily find it easy adapting to other clubs. And I think that's going to mm. cause a problem, yeah. um, potentially. Uh, and, and therefore, I think the model is the right one. I think it's a sensible one for a club like Brighton. Mm. But whether we'll be allowed to continue it, I think is the conundrum. I think we've got the best chance of anybody, if, because we've done well with it, and because we we know what we're doing, I think we've got the best chance of anybody of continuing that kind of policy. How well, as you said, in terms of if if people start getting too demanding with fees, I know it means a lot to those clubs from those some of those countries we're buying from, especially in places like South America. Um, but then if other people start sniffing around the same players and they offer more, yes, then that could then yeah. become a problem. But I think we've got as good a chance as any of of keeping that policy going. And maybe the the overall plan is to actually establish ourselves with a higher profile than we have even now, so that we maybe are able to encourage um, greater resource, greater finance and more attractiveness for those players to actually be a destination club even more so. Because we're we're a pathway, sort of a top-level pathway club, I'd call us. Mm, Uh, We're still a pathway club, but we're at the top end of that scale. Um, Indeed, yeah. I think, I think the next work, five or ten years are going to be really fascinating to watch the Albion. I think. Yeah, yeah. The hopes one is around to watch it, but the um, <laughs> yes, yeah. On seventy three. Having said that, I think the idea of not bankrupting ourselves with huge salaries. I'm not. I'm wondering whether we need to pay a fraction more, but well, I do mean a fraction more, but not bankrupt us, but with the sort of salaries that certain clubs have gone, they sort of thought, we're going to have to offer people 100000 a week in order to be able to attract the star players. Yeah. And Bloom seems pretty well determined not to do that. Um, and obviously, if we take the Fatty example, all right, we might be paying 80% of his wages, and that's 160000 but 
I think Tony's rationalising that and saying that's effectively a loan fee rather than the salary. Mm-hmm. So it's almost as if we're sort of paying 150000 as a loan fee a week or say one hundred twenty, and then 40000 as a salary. Um, but I think that's where people have come unstuck and then they've got down to the championship with these big wage bills without yeah. the income and they've got screwed. And I, I'm i beginning to wonder to what extent football in in England should continue to support the sheer size of the football league. Um, I know there's a debate going on and I'm raising this as an issue slightly contentiously, but actually should to what extent should the Premier League subsidise the rest of the league? Is it shouldn't we just allow it to do it and, and perhaps have a smaller have say only three divisions of top professional football and the rest non league and part time and to have a, a better quality at the top and not try and finance a hundred clubs to try and finance sixty clubs? Uh, and I'm doing this on, on the basis that sustainability going forward. Are we going to be able to run 100 professional clubs um, for the next 100 years? And my my answer is no. That's mm. not going to happen. And you know, if you're still around, any of you, either of you, right. another hundred years. No, I think you're right. I've been proved right. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think this current system and the transfer fees can be sustained. I, I, I think it may it may be five, it may be ten years, but you're right. It can't happen. It won't happen. <laughs> yeah. You can remind me if I'm still around in 10 years. <laughs> but it's not it will be. Um, but Phil, I think that's a good question. And I think it's, I think while Tony Bloom and Paul Barber are there, and, and I think you know, while they are still there, I think the club will continue to keep its head screwed on. That was an extremely run, well run club, isn't it? At the moment, but I think people acknowledge it. I mean, it seems yeah. to be sort of common uh, wisdom that Brighton's the best run club. Yeah, of, of them all. Yeah, doesn't of seem, them all. That, that doesn't mean to say we're the most successful. No, but the best run. Yeah. Well, final thoughts then on on the current team, and before we wrap up as well, with a quick summary about your book in a moment. Um, how do you think we'll do this season, Phil? Do, what, what would be a good season for you as well? Winning a trophy of any sort or just yeah, your yeah. run in Europe? And... I, I, well, I mentioned um, the cup final of 1983, so that's 40 years ago, isn't it? Mm. Unbelievably. Yes. 40 years ago, yeah. Mr. Smith. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'll take, I'll take the FA Cup final. And I'll tell you what, Brighton have got the sort of team that can win a cup match. Yes. So I'm I'm actually quite enthusiastic about them making some good progress. But yeah. I am too. I've got a feeling, I've got a feeling we're going to win a, a trophy this year. I've no idea which one it will be. Mm. No, no what, real what, The wooden spoon, Russell? The wooden spoon? <laughs> no, hopefully not that, no. Um, but yeah, I, I think we can because I agree with yeah. you. I think we've got good cup credentials as yeah, well as forming in the league yeah and let's hope so phil it's been a pleasure having you on just to, to reiterate so your first book was tommy cook uh second one was on charlie webb which was oh, i think three years ago and this one your third one is called the gold kings of brian of albion brian of albion um obviously the new ones could be available are the old ones available by the way still do you, can they still be they got- are still available if yeah people um 
we, you can you should be able to buy them from the Albion Bookshop. Okay. Um, sometimes they run out of stock, so it's as well to ask them to order it yeah. if, if, if if fans want them. Yeah, hmm. it, it'll be available for years and years to come. Well, that's um, good because the nature of those two particular um, features of uh, those two featured subjects are, uh, you know, yeah. they are enduring, aren't they? It's well, the, they are. They, yeah, uh, I mean, the sales are uh, obviously there's a rush at the start. Sales are just ticking over now, but um, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, just ask the um, the club or people can contact me. So, um, yeah, yeah, excellent. And the Gold Kings also available at the club shop, is it? And, and where will else? Be. Well, yeah, we, I, I'm still kind of negotiating on that. I'm I'm hope I'm hopeful. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, and what's the what's the actual release date as well? Just to clarify, uh, well, hasn't been decided yet because I'm actually still working on it. But we're we're looking at November. Okay. Um, I'm rather hoping it might make a nice Christmas present for Albion fans. It's um, I'm very pleased with how it's gone so far, but few little well, well, as in any book, few rough edges to tidy up. Yeah. When we're having one of our seagulls over at London meeting meetings, I'd be very happy to take some perhaps signed copies up. Um, anybody who's interested on your behalf, yeah, uh, I okay. always pop it. Yeah. Always um, to, to where you are um, in Burgess yeah, well, and pick up a few. But also, uh, Chris Jonas, the chairman of Seagulls over London, said it might be nice to, uh, if we had a couple of copies, uh, we'd buy them, obviously, but to actually give us prizes. We, we normally have a quiz uh, evening uh, around we'll that time. Yeah, yeah. yeah we thought uh, as okay. a nice prize, it would be hot off the press, the Gold Kings of Brighton by by yeah. uh, Dennis. So, yeah. Um, if you're up for that, we would like to be no, able to do that. Would that would be fine. Drop us a reminder. We'll, we'll give you another shout out on this pod uh, yeah. when it's actually on release as well, just as a, oh, so yeah. people can rush out. As they said, hopefully get it as a Christmas present. Well, well, it's nice to chat to you both. And, yeah, um, it's been a pleasure. Thank thanks you very for much. for inviting me along. <laughs> yeah, it's been, <laughs> been great. Just, just, just two more, more questions. One is um, uh, just as an appetizer. I, I know the answer, but um, who is the most efficient striker in your book, which might surprise people? And uh, secondly, I I understand that Charlie Webb uh, came originally from Bohemians, which is the same club, of course, that we got Evan Ferguson from. That's correct. The second bit's correct, yeah. Um, Atwood, of course, Arthur Atwood. That's going to surprise a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the details will be in the book, but so I don't want to give too much away. But uh, I'm just remember I'm looking at their consistency. That wouldn't score as many goals as some players, but he didn't take as many games scoring them. So I'll leave that thought with you. Yeah, and it's interesting because <laughs> he's, he's someone that people won't probably have heard of. Most people. Well, it, I, I've I've had the devil's own. Um, Devil's own job tracking information down about him because because of that and people haven't heard of him as a modest character. So I'm still trying to track down if there's any Albion fan who knows an Atwood who's related to him. I'd be very pleased to hear from them because uh, m- my plan is to get a relative to launch the book, but um, it's a devil's own job to. Uh, to do that, I, I do. I am aware, actually, just as a, a tailpiece, 
that um, there are some grandchildren called Kevin Atwood and a, a Francis Atwood, although she may be married, and they were both born in Brighton in the sixties, so they might they might still be around. Um, so that's that's my next job is to try and track down relatives. <laughs> Fantastic! Yeah, well, uh, I mean, good luck with that, Phil, and yeah. I look forward to reading the book. Yeah. Uh, yes, as do I. So, Raymond, as always, thank you for joining us. And, Phil, it's been a pleasure to have you on for your debut. And we'll get you back on at some point. for me too. Thanks. Bye. Excellent. All the best. And that rounds up this episode. So, uh, until next time, stand or fall up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network.